I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is episode 46 of the Earth's Academy podcast with Victor Renato and Roxy Hayes. How to write a gag cartoon with special guest Emily Flake. Thanks for tuning in to the Arts Academy podcast put on by the New York Arts Academy. I'm Dean Victor Renato. This is my host, your co-host, Deputy Headmistress Roxy Hayes. And ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest, New Yorker cartoonist, Emily Flay. Yeah, Emily Flay. Right. Good energy, good energy. Well, thank you. And first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to write gag tar- cartoons. And then we're going to talk about how to sell cartoons. So let's talk about how to write gag cartoons. Now, uh, Emily, you are a New Yorker cartoonist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably been asked this before, so I bet you have a good answer. Why not, how, how do you define gag cartoons for people out there? So a gag cartoon is basically any single panel gag cartoon is basically just like a joke in a box. So there, it's a picture, sometimes with words, sometimes with not, but anything where it's like, the joke is contained in one image uh-huh. with or without a caption. And honestly, the, usually the, like, the easiest um, sort of shorthand for that is it's New Yorker cartoons. You're like, all right, right I got you. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's New Yorker cartoons. And, the, and there's all different kinds of styles. Like when I first started getting into cartooning, I thought that a gag cartoon was only what I had seen. And so since I hadn't seen anything beyond the New Yorker cartoons, I thought that gag cartoons were the, that specific style only. But mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of different ways to present gag cartoons. Like New Yorker style is usually uh, the image tells the story and that's it. Or mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the image tells the story. Most of the time the image tells the story and then there's a caption underneath. Um, and then with a lot of the gag cartoons, there can be uh, cartoon uh, balloon captions in, inside where mm-hmm. are dialogue balloons or sure. also writing on on top of the cartoon as a, mm-hmm. as a, like a subtitle or title inside the cartoon itself. Uh, I mean, there's just tons of different ways to approach it. That, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And then the New Yorker, I think is probably pretty narrow in the world of gag cartoons. Right. Um, well, I mean, I think that they have sort of a perceived narrowness in terms of like scope of sense of humor um, but I think that that's, yeah, I think that change, that scope widens a little bit every year. In terms of format, I think you're right. They are generally, you know, like image caption. Um, there are places out there where, you know, you rarely see like a word bubble in a, in a New Yorker cartoon, but there are plenty of venues where like word bubbles are more common. Um, but on the other hand, you have somebody like, you know, like Liana Fink, who's a gag cartoonist, but some of her cartoons are are just literally just words, um, no image. So, you know, like everything else, it's kind of like definitions are very um, elastic. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that I remember once when I was working on a cartoon for uh, I was submitting a cartoon for The New Yorker. I was really breaking sort of the format 
And mm -hmm. because I was so new, the uh, feedback was pretty much, don't break the format while you're so new. Just do it right. please. <laughs> you you gotta you gotta you gotta earn that right to really <laughs> don't piss all over the format right when you walk in the door. Um, before we dig into just like how you how you go about coming up with ideas, and I'll talk a little bit about how I come up with ideas. We do have a question uh, from okay. Michael Teichman, which okay. is have you always wanted to cartoon? That is a really excellent question. Um, I would say, yeah, I I found, um, uh, I was helping my parents clean out their garage and I found like a note, not a note, like an essay I had written um, when I was nine, um, basically saying that I wanted to be a comedian and write some books. Um, and, I, and I also liked to draw. So like, I really always wanted to do something with my life that involved like art and humor. When I was uh, in high school, I was always trying to draw comic books, like superhero comic books. I mean, I'm still into that kind of thing, but um, I, I, I appreciate the art, the art behind doing a gag cartoon, the art as being an artist. I mean, of course there's an artist and super, there's art behind superhero cartoons. Sure. I feel like, I feel like it, work that I've seen that has been superhero cartoons, um, it's a lot like uh, stand-up comedy versus uh, violinists. For instance, right. in stand-up comedy, there's a lot of people that aren't so good that are out there doing stand-up comedy. And with violinists, there's less people that are, aren't so good doing violin work. And so gag cartoons are a lot like that, where it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a, I, I feel like more people, or at least more gag cartoons I see are of high quality. Right. I think that's 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 a pretty good analogy. Although I think that there are probably people sort of like, you know, doing the equivalent of playing a terrible violin in the closet. There are probably, you know, people hiding somewhere, like making bad cartoons, which is fantastic. You absolutely need to make like thousands of bad cartoons before you get to any good ones. Um, whereas with stand-up, you know, it's like, by its nature, you have to go out and be terrible in front of people for a long time. Oh yeah, time. you absolutely have to. You're right. Yeah. You're right. That's, yeah. a, that's a different way that it, then, that's a different way of approaching it because you definitely have to go out in front of people and be bad. Um, so let's talk about like how you generate ideas. Like when you're when you're sitting down on your on your uh, big table my, of paper. Uh -huh. My eyes are watering. I think I'm having some sort of like allergic attack or something. I don't know what's happening, but uh, maybe it's COVID. Who knows? No. Uh, but we, it's not. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Besides, I'm really far away from you. You'd, you'd be fine if I was. Uh, but what? How do you approach uh, generating ideas? So uh, the, I think the most important thing to keep in mind when you're trying to write anything on, like any kind of joke, um, whether it's gag cartoons or not is your first thought should be quantity over quality. I think you need to start out with writing down, with getting as much stuff on the page as humanly possible. I also find it helpful to start, like give yourself a mundane jumping off point, like start with things that are sort of like proximate to you, like things that you know um, a lot about or know, or things that are part of your life. and you know, take that one thing, say like, if you're, if you work in an office, like the idea of um, like a meeting room, take that and start to kind of like, see how 
many interesting questions you can ask yourself about it. We'll start with the mundane questions. Who is at this meeting? Why are they there? What's going on? See And see how far you can push the answers into the increasingly bizarre. But I honestly find, and this is a lesson that I have to learn over and over and over, that once I start writing stuff down, other things come. If I sit there and I don't write anything, it's just this exercise in misery and staring off into space. Um, and I think that that's, that's true across the board with all writing, honestly. Yeah, I feel like I'm the same way that, that when I'm just standing around, my brain tells me, when I'm standing around and walking around or doing something else, my brain tells me, you have no ideas. And then when mm -hmm. I actually force myself to sit down and start writing, then mm -hmm. even if I'm writing something stupid, then all these ideas really start to come, which- Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I guess that I, I don't, I think I may approach it differently than you might approach it because I, I often will start with um, writing it very similar to the way I write stand-up comedy, which is I'm trying to communicate a feeling. Mm. I don't know if that's so like- interesting. Yeah, I'm always I'm always considering like I want like whenever I'm writing something for a stand up or I'm writing something for a cartoon, I want people to understand the feeling that I had that made me giggle when I initially right. did it. And then right. so I then I then I try to Frankenstein different ways to get that feeling out of people. That's really fascinating. Like that's similar to how I write well like a longer piece or an essay. Uh -huh. is I feel like I have like an emotional tuning fork in my head that I'm trying to like get the piece in tune with. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's, that's interesting to hear you say that. Cause I was going to ask you, cause you're an excellent standup. If your process for writing gags felt different than writing for standup or not. Um, it, I mean, it is different, but they do come from that. They start with that same thing of like, I'm trying to communicate a feeling. I want people, because that's how I think about, that's how I think about everything actually. Like mm -hmm. every, everything artistic that I do, I'm always trying to communicate a particular feeling and get people to react or feel or think the same way that I thought when I first had the idea or whatever I'm trying to express. Right. I mean, and I, I, I mean, I don't know that I always do that, but that's usually where I start. And then that usually spawns other ideas. Like often mm -hmm. I'll start with that, trying to get that feeling across, but then it'll generate maybe like 10 different cartoon ideas that are yeah. that are not necessarily that exact feeling, but are still funny. Right. So what do you do when you're just kind of dead inside? Uh, when I'm when I'm dead inside, I usually, I, I'll just start doodling. I doodle. Doodling mm -hmm. helps a lot. In fact, um, one of the, a cartoon that I did recently, I didn't submit it anywhere. I just put it up on my Instagram. It was, it was basically a, a doodle that uh, ended up being a cartoon. Actually, I can show it to uh, you. Hold on one second. While I show you this doodle while uh, Roxy fills time. <laughs> it is. Uh, Roxy. So yeah. <laughs> Um, what is, what's one of your favorite subjects to, to write about when you're writing your cartoons? Like, do you have a particular one you like to write about? Um, I feel like I always just go first to, to sort of like small personal absurdities. 
Um, just uh, and now, I mean, especially like that, I have uh, a child. Um, I find myself doing a lot of that just because that's such an immersive mm-hmm. um, situation to be in, um, and it changes all the time. You know, like having uh, she's almost eight, and that's very different from having a newborn, which is very different from having a toddler. Um, but yeah, like same thing. Just in terms of like staying proximate, like I kind of start with things that are very specific to what's going on in my life and then try to sort of build out from there. Um, but then on the flip side of that, there's the like, let's see what's in the news. Let's see what people are talking about um, and trying to pull something from that. Although more often than not these days, that's that just turns into four hours of June scrolling. Like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I don't have anything hilarious to say about that. <laughs> I want to interject. We do have a question, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is, uh, we're talking about comedy in your cartoons, but do you ever use your cartoons to promote social uh, causes or issues? Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I do. In fact, recently, well, not not super recently, but recently enough, I, I did this cartoon, which was uh, in which was one of the New Yorker Daily cartoons, which was definitely about a social issue, and it, and it went mm-hmm. viral. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely do, I do cartoons to promote social issues. Uh, Wanda, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I, I don't always do that. Sometimes I do them that just because they are stupid. But and I like stupid cartoons too. But sometimes I'm more concerned with. Uh, I, I'm always concerned with like talking about connecting with people, talking about things that people understand and are maybe experiencing together. And so uh, so sometimes I guess that would be social issues and sometimes it's not because people mm-hmm. do experience a lot of things together. Uh, right. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you see a, a difference in how people react to the social ones versus like more so like the family every day? Like, do you get more uh, traction with the social causes than you maybe do for the everyday life sort of ones? I, I I would say yes because what a something I, I was reading an article about like what makes something go viral and I actually mm-hmm. learned a lot and and uh, I've kept that with me. One of the reasons why things go viral is if you can say in a succinct way what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. So if you can commun- communicate their message for them in a very succinct way, that's what makes people go viral, m- makes stuff go viral. So people are always concerned about social issues in one way or another, in a positive or negative light, depending on who you are. And so if you can help them get their message across with, uh, with whatever your, whether it's an image or a tweet or a meme or whatever it is, then that, promotes something going viral. So yes, mm-hmm. definitely. It, well, it, I wouldn't say it's just social issues, but it's just things that society as a whole are experiencing. That's part of it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So yes, it. absolutely. And I think it's a matter of like sort of being able to draw from the cultural ether and like you just said, distill it into something that people see reflected back on them in a way that like, that they're like, right, that's, that's what I wanted to say. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, for sure. That makes sense. Exactly. I'm going to show you the cartoon I was talking about that started out as a doodle. 
and then became a full cartoon, uh, or more or less, I guess. I mean, that's really up for the viewer to decide. <laughs> so yeah, this, this, was, this was actually just me doodling. I started doodling the dog first, and then the rest of the picture uh, came up around it. Oh, so, that dog is so good. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I want. I mean, obviously, I want it to be better. I can't. You know, it's hard to talk about art. Nobody, nobody's uh, content with their art. I mean, maybe Monet. Who knows? No, it's a compliment, Victor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. Nobody is ever content with their art. And I mean, again, with maybe very few exceptions. Perhaps Picasso was like, oh, "I'm awesome," but like. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I love her so much. I, I feel like, like if you if you're drawing and you're and if you are thinking I'm awesome as you're working, not only is what you're doing probably not good, you're probably not a good person. Like, um, and you know, again, sorry to keep bringing up my daughter, but like you know, we sit and draw together sometimes, and she's like, "Oh, this is terrible. I'm so bad at it." And I'm like, "I'm going to tell you right now that feeling." never goes away but people <laughs> who make art learn to live with that feeling and do it anyway because the only thing that hurts worse than drawing or writing is not drawing or writing mm. and You're that's right. how you know you are doomed to a life in the arts that is 100 percent <laughs> true I, I, we're going to answer one more question and then we're going to wrap it up by kind of reiterating some of the major points we said about writing, and then we'll go on to the next subject. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, see what Wanda's thing is here. Uh, that is the artist's struggle. It's so true. Yeah. And <laughs> even in my photography, there is always something. That's a pretty mm -hmm. good impression, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> that was a really good impression of Wanda. <laughs> Love you, Wanda. I'm really done. <laughs> You're probably just uh, you're you're probably just never going to grow if you don't criticize yourself. Thanks, Wanda. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's just let's let's uh, finish talking about writing. And so for me, a lot of what I'm talking about, what I do is I really concentrate on a I concentrate on a theme that I'm trying to communicate, and however I I concentrate on a theme or a feeling that I'm trying to communicate, and however I can get that feeling across. Sometimes it's sometimes it's the pictures. Sometimes it's more in the words. Sometimes it's a combination. Actually, most times it's a combination of both. I love I like cartoons where if I'm writing a gag cartoon, I like them to be funny together. Like I like the caption and the word, the caption and the picture to make a full joke. Yeah. 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 I, absolutely. I, I I I often like it when they don't work without either of them. Yes. That is not, that's not always the case, but I I particularly like it when it's a when it fits together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've definitely written cartoons where it's almost like I just sort of pulled a line of dialogue, and I just need some puppets to say my words for me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the ideal is that the two things really are in like an inextricable marriage for sure. Um, and yeah, I find, you know, I, I love what you said about having a feeling that you're trying to make coalesce into a gag cartoon. Um, and sometimes when I'm sitting down, I'll just start randomly writing stuff down, like try just making a thread for myself to pick up and, and add to and add my own like thoughts and feelings and tweaks, um, to it. 
also when in doubt go back to the tropes you know like there's a mil there's like there's actually there's two giant books of like new yorker trope cartoons out there or you can just find lists of them online but but things like like the desert island or cavemen or you know death personified um etc cetera, etc cetera. like going back to cliches and seeing if you can put any kind of a new spin on them even if you don't come up with anything mm -hmm. it's a good way to just like you know dig that thread out of the ground and start seeing where it can take you let the work show you where to go. Awesome. I think um, I think that we've uh, pretty much covered that subject. Anybody who listens to this episode probably need have everything they need to go make a million dollars this cartoon. Hey. Congratulations, everybody. You're welcome. Please visit onartsacademy.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.